Section 15 of The Evolution of Modern Medicine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in January 2020. The Evolution of Modern Medicine by Sir William Osler. Section 15. Chapter 3. Medieval Medicine the rise of the universities the most striking intellectual phenomenon of the thirteenth century is the rise of the universities the story of their foundation is fully stated in rashdall's great work universities of europe in the middle ages oxford eighteen ninety five monastic and collegiate schools seats of learning like salernum student guilds as at bologna had tried to meet the educational needs of the age. The word university literally means an association and was not at first restricted to learned bodies. The origin appears to have been in certain guilds of students formed for mutual protection associated at some place specially favorable for study, the attraction generally being a famous teacher. The University of Bologna grew up about guilds formed by students of law, and at Paris, early in the 12th century, there were communities of teachers, chiefly in philosophy and theology. In this way arose two different types of medieval university. The universities of northern Italy were largely controlled by students who were grouped in different nations. They arranged the lectures and had control of the appointment of teachers. On the other hand, in the universities founded on the Paris model, the masters had control of the studies, though the students, also in nations, managed their own affairs. Two universities have a special interest at this period in connection with the development of medical studies, Bologna and Montpellier. At the former, the study of anatomy was revived. In the knowledge of the structure of the human body, no advance had been made for more than a thousand years, since Galen's day. In the process of translation from Greek to Syriac, from Syriac to Arabic, from Arabic to Hebrew, and from Hebrew or Arabic to Latin, both the form and thought of the old Greek writers were not infrequently confused and often even perverted, and Galen's anatomy had suffered severely in the transmission. Our earliest knowledge of the teaching of medicine at Bologna is connected with a contemporary of Dante, Taddeo Alderotti, who combined Arabian erudition with the Greek spirit. He occupied a position of extraordinary prominence, was regarded as the first citizen of Bologna and a public benefactor exempt from the payment of taxes. That he should have acquired wealth is not surprising, if his usual fees were at the rate at which he charged Pope Honorius IV, i.e. 200 florins a day, besides a gratification of 6,000 florins. The man who most powerfully influenced the study of medicine in Bologna was Mundinus, the first modern student of anatomy. We have seen that at the school of Salernum it was decreed that the human body should be dissected at least once every five years, but it was with the greatest difficulty that permission was obtained for this purpose. 
it seems probable that under the strong influence of Tadeo there was an occasional dissection at Bologna, but it was not until Mundinus, professor from 1306 to 1326, took the chair that the study of anatomy became popular. The bodies were usually those of condemned criminals, but in the year 1319 there is a record of a legal procedure against four medical students for body-snatching, the first record, as far as I know, of this gruesome practice. In 1316, Mundinus issued his work on anatomy, which served as a textbook for more than 200 years. He quotes from Galen the amusing reasons why a man should write a book. Firstly, to satisfy his own friends. Secondly, to exercise his best mental powers. And thirdly, to be saved from the oblivion incident to old age. Scores of manuscripts of his work must have existed, but they are now excessively rare in Italy. The book was first printed at Pavia in 1478, in a small folio without figures. It was very often reprinted in the 15th and 16th centuries. The quaint illustration shows us the medieval method of teaching anatomy, the lecturer sitting on a chair reading from Galen, while a barber-surgeon, or an ostensor, opens the cavities of the body. I have already referred to the study of medicine by women at Salernum. Their names are also early met with in the school of Bologna. Mundinus is said to have had a valuable assistant, a young girl, Alessandra Gigliani, an enthusiastic dissector who was the first to practice the injection of the blood vessels with coloured liquids. She died, consumed by her labours, at the early age of nineteen, and her monument is still to be seen. Bologna honoured its distinguished professors with magnificent tombs, sixteen or seventeen of which, in a wonderful state of preservation, may still be seen in the Civic Museum. That of Mundinus also exists, a sepulchral bas-relief on the wall of the church of San Vitale at Bologna. The other early medieval university of special interest in medicine is that of Montpellier. With it are connected three teachers who have left great names in our story, Arnold of Villanova, Henri de Montville, and Guy de Choliac. The city was very favourably situated not far from the Spanish border, and the receding tide of the Arab invasion in the 8th century had left a strong Arabic influence in that province. The date of the origin of the university is uncertain, but there were teachers of medicine there in the 12th century, though it was not until 1289 that it was formally founded by a papal bull. Arnold of Villanova was one of the most prolific writers of the Middle Ages. He had travelled much, was deeply read in Arabic medicine, and was also a student of law and of philosophy. He was an early editor of the Regimen Sanitatis and a strong advocate of diet and hygiene. His views on disease were largely those of the Arabian physicians, and we cannot see that he himself made any very important contribution to our knowledge. But he was a man of strong individuality and left an enduring mark on medieval medicine, as one may judge from the fact that among the first hundred medical books printed, there were many associated with his name. He was constantly in trouble with the church, 
though befriended by the popes on account of his medical knowledge there is a bull of clement v asking the bishops to search for a medical book by arnold dedicated to himself but not many years later his writing were condemned as heretical in henri de mondeville we have the typical medieval surgeon and we know his work now very thoroughly from the editions of his anatomy and surgery edited by pagel berlin eighteen eighty nine to eighteen ninety two and in the fine french edition by nices paris eighteen ninety three the dominant arabic influence is seen in that he quotes so large a proportion of these authors but he was an independent observer and a practical surgeon of the first rank he had a sharp wit and employed a bitter tongue against the medical abuses of his day how the hippocratic humours dominated practice at this time you may see at a glance from the table prepared by nices from the works of the mondeville we have here the whole pathology of the period a still greater name in the history of this school is guy de choliac whose works have also been edited by nices paris eighteen ninety his surgery was one of the most important textbooks of the late middle ages there are many manuscripts of it some fourteen editions in the fifteenth century and thirty-eight in the sixteenth and it continued to be reprinted far into the seventeenth century he too was dominated by the surgery of the arabs and on nearly every page one reads of the sages avicenna albucasis or rases he lays down four conditions necessary for the making of a surgeon the first is that he must be learned the second expert the third that he should be clever and the fourth that he should be well disciplined you will find a very discerning sketch of the relation of these two men to the history of surgery in the address given at the st louis congress in nineteen o four by sir clifford albert they were strong men with practical minds and good hands whose experience taught them wisdom in both there was the blunt honesty that so often characterizes a good surgeon and i commend to modern surgeons de montville's saying if you have operated conscientiously on the rich for a proper fee and on the poor for charity you need not play the monk nor make pilgrimages for your soul one other great medieval physician may be mentioned peter of abano a small town near padua famous for its baths he is the first in a long line of distinguished physicians connected with the great school of padua known as the conciliator from his attempt to reconcile the diverse views on philosophy and medicine he had an extraordinary reputation as a practitioner and author the persistence of which is well illustrated by the fact that eight of the one hundred and eighty-two medical books printed before fourteen eighty one were from his pen he seems to have taught medicine in paris bologna and padua he was a devoted astrologer had a reputation among the people as a magician and like his contemporary arnold of villanova came into conflict with the church and appears to have been several times before the inquisition indeed it is said that he escaped the stake only by a timely death he was a prolific commentator on aristotle and his exposition of the problems had a great vogue 
the early editions of his texts are among the most superb works ever printed he outlived his reputation as a magician and more than a century after his death frederick duke of urbino caused his effigies to be set up over the gate of the palace at padua with this inscription petrus aponus patavinus philosophiae medicinicae scientissimus ob itque conciliatoris nomen adeptus astrologiae vero adeo peritus ut in magie suspicionem inciderit falsoque de haerese postulatus absolutus fuerit it is said that abano caused to be painted the astronomical figures in the great hall of the palace at padua one characteristic of medieval medicine is its union with theology which is not remarkable as the learning of the time was chiefly in the hands of the clergy one of the most popular works the thesaurus pauperum was written by petrus hispanus afterwards pope john the twenty first we may judge of the pontifical practice from the page here reproduced which probably includes under the term iliac passion all varieties of appendicitis for our purpose two beacons illuminate the spirit of the thirteenth century in its outlook on man and nature better than abelard or saint thomas aquinas and much better than any physicians albertus magnus and roger bacon represent the men who were awake to greet the rising of the sun of science what a contrast in their lives and in their works the great dominican's long life was an uninterrupted triumph of fruitful accomplishment the titanic task he set himself was not only completed but was appreciated to the full by his own generation a life not only of study and teaching but of practical piety as head of the order in germany and bishop of regensburg he had wide ecclesiastical influence and in death he left a memory equalled only by one or two of his century and excelled only by his great pupil thomas aquinas there are many alberts in history the good the just the faithful but there is only one we call magnus and he richly deserved the name what is his record why do we hold his name in reverence today albertus magnus was an encyclopedic student and author who took all knowledge for his province his great work and his great ambition was to interpret aristotle to his generation before his day the staggerite was known only in part but he put within the reach of his contemporaries the whole science of aristotle and imbibed no small part of his spirit he recognized the importance of the study of nature even of testing it by way of experiment and in the long years that had elapsed since theophrastus no one else except dioscorides had made so thorough a study of botany his paraphrases of the natural history books of aristotle were immensely popular and served as a basis for all subsequent studies some of his medical works had an extraordinary vogue particularly the de secretis mulierum and the de vertutibus herbarum but there is some doubt as to the authorship of the first named although jammy and borne included in the collected editions of his works 
so fabulous was his learning that he was suspected of magic and comes in nod's list of the wise men who have unjustly been reputed magicians ferguson tells that there is an actual circulation at the present time a chapbook containing charms receipts sympathetical and magical cures for man and animals which passes under the name of albertus but perhaps the greatest claim of albertus to immortality is that he was the teacher and inspirer of thomas aquinas the man who undertook the colossal task of fusing aristotelian philosophy with christian theology and with such success that the angelic doctor remains today the supreme human authority of the roman catholic church a man of much greater interest to us from the medical point of view is roger bacon and for two reasons more than any other medieval mind he saw the need of the study of nature by a new method the man who could write such a sentence as this experimental science has three great prerogatives over other sciences it verifies conclusions by direct experiment it discovers truth which they never otherwise would reach it investigates the course of nature and opens to us a knowledge of the past and of the future is mentally of our day and generation bacon was born out of due time and his contemporaries had little sympathy with his philosophy and still less with his mechanical schemes and inventions from the days of the greeks no one had had so keen an appreciation of what experiment meant in the development of human knowledge and he was obsessed with the idea so commonplace to us that knowledge should have its utility and its practical bearing his chief merit is that he was one of the first to point the way to original research as opposed to the acceptance of an authority though he himself still lacked the means of pursuing this path consistently his inability to satisfy this impulse led to a sort of longing which is expressed in the numerous passages in his works where he anticipates man's greater mastery over nature bacon wrote a number of medical treatises most of which remain in manuscript his treatise on the cure of old age and the preservation of youth was printed in english in sixteen eighty three his authorities were largely arabian one of his manuscripts is on the bad practices of physicians on june tenth nineteen fourteen the eve of his birth the septuagintenary of roger bacon will be celebrated by oxford the university of which he is the most distinguished ornament his unpublished manuscripts in the bodleian will be issued by the clarendon press nineteen fifteen to nineteen twenty and it is hoped that his unpublished medical writings will be included what would have been its fate if the mind of europe had been ready for roger bacon's ferment and if men had turned to the profitable studies of physics astronomy and chemistry instead of wasting centuries over the scholastic philosophy and the subtleties of duns scotus abelard and thomas aquinas who can say make no mistake about the quality of these men giants in intellect who have had their place in the evolution of the race but from the standpoint of man struggling for the mastery of this world they are like the members of swift's famous college b 
busy distilling sunshine from cucumbers. I speak, of course, from the position of the natural man who sees for his fellows more hope from the experiments of Roger Bacon than from the disputations of philosophy on the instants, familiarities, quiddities, and relations, which so roused the scorn of Erasmus. End of section 15